welcome to Idaho Catholic Podcast. This is Deacon Pat coming to you from Western Idaho. I have a group of great guys that are joined us tonight, and we have a really kind of a fun little exercise we're going to share with you guys. And so I'd like to introduce again, once again, Clay Matthews is with us today, as well as Daryl Falkenberg and Mike Roberts. Now, but by the time this will be posted and you'll be hearing this, Clay and Daryl will be back in Honduras. And... Um, hopefully um, enjoying their time back at the mission. So Mike, you brought um, some cards with you today. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about these cards? These are flashcards for apologetics. And they're called, it, they're called Friendly Defenders. And it's like this whole series of different topics um, that you, you get to quiz. I, ideally, they're, they're meant for kids, but adults can do them too. Yeah, I think they're right at my level, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Likewise. So what, what, what I do sometimes is with my kids, I'll, I'll pull these flashcards out, and it's got on one side of the card, it has a question from someone, from a non-Catholic Christian, and then on the back, it has the answer from a Catholic. So they're, so they're called Friendly Defenders. You can check them out at FriendlyDefenders.com. What, what I like about these is just the whole name of it, Friendly Defenders, right? Because when you're engaging in apologetics, the most important thing to do is to obtain a convert, right? You don't want to win an argument necessarily. You, well, you do. But you want to do that in a friendly way, thus Friendly Defenders, friendly, mm -hmm. a friendly way of defending the faith. So I thought we could start off here by... I could, I'll pick up one of these cards. I will ask the question and put you guys on the spot because I haven't read this one yet. So you guys won't know the answer. So do we, do we ante up at first and, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we should totally do that. Yeah. You got me a new, yeah, you got, you got a faith and reason. <laughs> no, go fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So the different topics, the one I have is called confession Yeah, and so on the front, it's got like a, a cartoon. It's like a cartoony type thing. And it has a guy dressed in a, he's got a polo shirt on that says New Life Church. And his name is, is Questioning Quincy. And he says, it would be too embarrassing to tell my sins to a priest. So how would you guys respond to that? You know what? I, I think that's the, that's probably a great card because I think that's a, a number one thought that goes through people's minds. I think sometimes they rationalize it that, um, and for different reasons that I don't need to do that. I have a direct, you know, connection with, with God. I can just talk to God. But the thing that always comes to my mind is, is, you know, Jesus didn't do things for no reason. Why did he institute, um, you know, the sacrament of confession? And, um, I, you know, I just, I, I know as being a Catholic myself, there's something so freeing about thinking about your sins, bringing them to mind, actually having to say them out loud, and then hearing those words of absolution um, to really set us free. I, I think, you know, obviously Jesus knew what he was talking about. You know, all of these sacraments are really, um, you know, based in, in kind of the supernatural and then something of the physical because we're physical beings. And, you know, a wise man once told me that the, the, the power of 
of the secrets. The power of a secret is so phenomenal that when something is kept in the dark, you know, the devil can play with you and twist things and work on your guilt and do all kinds of things, you know, within, within yourself. But once, once you bring whatever that secret is out into the light, you, you, you verbalize it, you bring it out from the darkness, it loses all of its power. And, and I think that, you know, Jesus knew that and that's, that's, that's the sacrament. And that's why we actually, uh, disclose these things aloud because they're freeing. There is no secret anymore at that point. Maybe I went way too in depth with that. I don't know, but those are my thoughts. No, I think that's spot on. I think, um, just talking about the word, you know, Jesus Christ is the word, the logos, and something about uttering the words, your sins, gives you power over those, or gives you power over that darkness. It doesn't actually hold any power, and the sins in our life, the evil that we do, is actually just an absence of good. And so when we speak that, we speak that, speak those words, it loses all meaning, and actually can allow God's grace to enter into that darkness. Scatter our own darkness um, And there's something Intensely profound about that Another thing that That card gets at is humility And, and what's the first sin of man Is pride mm. Of wanting to know more than God And so if you just say It would be too embarrassing Well yeah it would be It goes against everything human nature wants Is to be, to be powerful To be wise To be intelligent To be above God and so saying your sins before a priest is humbling yourself, realizing that it isn't you who are all-knowing. It is submitting yourself before God, submitting yourself before a, a priest of God, and letting God's grace work through you because it's our pride that actually stops us from God's grace in flowing, like flowing through our life. So when we, when we actually sit before someone and have to say that that's when the the grace of God is able to enter into our lives and when we just keep it hidden or when we say oh well I asked for forgiveness in my own prayers but you don't actually address it you're actually not even allowing Christ to confront you so yeah it is humiliating it's really difficult to confront your sins before a priest but that's exactly the reason that we must do it so you would tell questioning Quincy you're right it is too embarrassing. Yes. But we need to do it. That's the spiritual life. <laughs> and, and, and to also think that even the priest that is hearing your confession, your embarrassing confession, himself goes to confession and himself is also embarrassed when he has to go to confession too. And the, the, the bishops and even the Pope go to confession and I'm sure they're embarrassed when they have to go. So it's, it's not just, you know, it's not just something that, what, what is it? Questioning Quincy? Mm -hmm. it has to go through mm -hmm. you know I once heard a priest tell me that hearing confessions is like being stoned to death with popcorn <laughs> and I think what he meant by that is people come in you know with they, they think they have these huge horrible sins and as a priest hearing confessions all the time it's like you hear everything and so there's nothing nothing's going to surprise you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I mean, but anyways the so the on the back of the card is gracious grace and what she says is it can also be embarrassing to show yourself to a doctor mm -hmm. but you do it so you can get well 
Isn't that a great answer? Oh, that's yeah. great. That's right at my level too. I, I, I understand that. <laughs> and then there's a, there's a verse quote here. It says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And that's second Corinthians five eighteen. Now I'm a convert as I know, Daryl and Clay, you are too. And I, I came from the Protestant faith, a Protestant faith. And you know, it was just anathema to me to have to confess, to go to another person mm-hmm. to receive forgiveness. And so that, that was a bit of a struggle to me to come in, coming into the faith. But one verse that I'd never read before that I remember was pivotal in my understanding of the Catholic teaching of reconciliation, confirmation, uh, not confirmation, uh, uh, um, confession, was in John 20. So this picture Jesus, he has you know, risen from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples a couple times. He's just about ready to be ascended. So this is like, you know, the last, one of the few last times he's gonna see the disciples in person. So what he's gonna say here is gonna be important. So he says in verse, uh, was it 22 here? Um, 21, I'll give you some context here. And it says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And I, you know, how can they forgive someone's sins if that person doesn't tell them their sins? So I think that there's a good case there could, could be made for, for the, the Catholic uh, sacrament of, of confession, you know, we, we have these people that are God gave, put in charge of forgiving sins. Mm-hmm. And that authority was passed down. What, do you, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Well, the, so the authority was passed down to the apostles, but we can emphasize like what that authority is, which is, uh, which is Jesus, right? So when you're going into confession and you're not just confessing your sins to the priest, you're confessing your sins to God. And it's, it's, it's Jesus who is uh, forgiving you of those sins, correct? And so when, yeah. when the priest says, um, I forgive you of your sins, he's not speaking in his own person, but he's speaking in, in what Catholics say, in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. So it's, it's Jesus Christ um, speaking and acting in and through the priest, forgiving us of our sins. So it's, it's, in other words, it's not the priest forgiving our sins. It's, it's Jesus. Right. Hey, so I was talking to a skeptical Scott on card number six here. <laughs> really? And um, yeah, um, he, he looks really familiar to me. Actually, what, what his question for this learned group here is maybe God created the world and then left it alone. What do you guys think about that? Maybe God created the world. Yes, he agrees with that. But then he left it alone. Like it doesn't doesn't that, isn't that what a deist thinks? Like yeah. God wound up the clock and then let it go. A deist argument for God. Mm-hmm. You, you mm-hmm. know, you do hear a lot of a lot of times in our current culture. There's a lot of people out there that say, where, "Where is God in this world? There's so much bad that happens in the world. Is He actually here anymore?" 
What do you think? That one's too hard. Just read the back real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're lucky, you guys, because we have solid Sally here. Nice. And she's a pretty bright girl. She's at the top of her class. This is an eighth grade class. And she says, it is not logical for God to create the world just to leave it alone without any guidance. That would be a God who didn't care if we were cruel or kind. But God does care. He sent his son to save us and his Holy Spirit to guide us. You know, someone once told me that we, we probably should think about God in this way, that God um, either has his hand in all things in life or he wills, uh, he either wills things to happen in life or he allows things to happen. So when I think of God, I don't think of him ever wanting bad things to happen. So I don't think he wills bad things to happen, but he does give us a free will. And with our free will, he'll let us make bad decisions. So he'll allow certain things to happen in life. But even when he allows those bad things maybe to happen in life, it's always for a greater good. And that greater good is always to draw us closer to him. So I think if we keep our eyes open and we're always looking for maybe what is the hidden message there or what is the virtue that he's trying to get us to develop in our life, a lot of times it's it's patience, it's forgiveness, it's understanding. Um, you, you know, it's all those things that, that maybe are maybe countercultural for a lot of us today. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, he, and he wants us to feel dryness in our life. I don't know. Those are some of my thoughts. Probably um, Solid Sally's answer is a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're getting at something good. Of Fundamentally, it goes back to Christ. If you think that God created the universe and left it, then who is Christ? then you would be taking him out of the equation and just claiming him as just a prophet among many or something. But if you fundamentally believe that he is the son of God, man and God in the same substance or the same being, then he is intervening and he actually intervened in such a real way that he took on our own flesh. And then as he left, he gave the spirit so we can continually be at work and every moment his spirit is working, working, working. And if you want to get to the problem of, you know, why does God allow certain things to happen if there's evil? God's not intervening. Well, humanity killed God on the cross. So no matter what you see out there, it's going to be redeemed. No matter the amount of suffering Christ himself took on every inch of darkness in the universe by the crucifixion and redeemed it. And so you would say, how is he intervening? Well, every moment he's redeeming the suffering. He's redeeming the sin from Adam. From the beginning of time to now, he's redeeming it. It just takes our own willingness to listen to that rather than us being prideful over God of why is it this way. It's us silencing ourselves and being able to see the gentle nudges of how God is doing that in everyone's life at every moment and creating and sustaining this universe. And it it's very difficult for us because we don't want to see it, but it's there in every moment. I, I think another problem that a lot of people have is, is they have a problem maybe thinking about what life is after this life. Um, there's so many in our culture that, that think this is, this is it all. And, and when, when someone is taken away from this life, if they don't have faith of the afterlife, 
that it is the end of the world for that person that they'll never see their father again or their mother again and if their concept of is is god should provide everything within this world then they they do struggle with why would god take that person away from me but on the contrast someone that has deep faith and they their father leaves or their brother leaves or maybe their child it leaves and, and god takes them away they know um, God willing that they will see them again and not for just a short duration but for all of eternity and I think you know especially doing funerals I you know I, I have the opportunity to do funerals from time to time and funerals are a very kind of particular thing in the sense that um, it draws many people back to church who haven't been to church for a long time it also draws church going people back to church or to church for funerals and there's really a contrast between how people react at those funerals the people that really are not engaged in any faith and maybe do not have any faith at all um, the funeral is, is a is just a travesty for them that person is gone and they'll never see them again the people with the deep faith they it's sad but the sadness that they show is is sadness for themselves not for the other person they know they're not going to see that person for some time but that they will be united but there's also a sense of joy the joy that that person who is now gone is not trapped is not trapped into in this world they are in of in just the heavenly bliss there's nothing better than what you could imagine that heaven would be and who would not be joyful and thankful that their loved one is is in heaven at that point now as catholics we think there might be a stop along the way <laughs> there might be some purgatory and that that's a whole other discussion that i think a lot of people um, have a hard time understanding if if they don't truly understand what catholics believe or what purgatory is but that's for another day probably Actually, I have a card right here on purgatory. Oh, score! <laughs> <laughs> no, but when I, the first thing that came to mind on your question, though, Pat, was, um, well, Jesus, he didn't do that. He sent prophets to lead people. He he gave his only son. You know, he he intervened that way. And and if you just believe that Jesus was just a man, then. Um, you know, I would probably go into why I believe in the resurrection that proves he's not just a man, you know, because um, it, it's, and, then, and he, then after that, he left his church to guide and direct us. So, so no, Jesus didn't just wind up the clock and, and let it unwind. He's actively involved. Mm -hmm. But I, I think your point of, of how do you address evil in the world is, is really what drives that. That is it kind of that's do you think that's probably the root of that question I, I I don't know I think I think I think it's different for different people but everybody is I think seeking an answer and when they don't have an answer they're they're troubled by that and and you know I was talking to somebody the other day about faith and you can't just desire maybe I'm wrong with this but my thought is you, you can't just desire faith to have faith faith is a gift it's something that God gives you. There's many people that I know that just believe what they believe because they believe it. Now, I know you can study and, and you, can, you can rationally come up with answers for certain things. But for many of us in this life, we believe in God because we believe in God. And, and, and that's a gift that's been given to us, something that we cherish as well. 
And um, I have a thought over here, but I, I don't think I'm going to be able to fully articulate it. So maybe you guys can tell me if I'm off or you guys can elaborate on it. Off. But, I, no. <laughs> but, I, but I, I'm thinking to myself, um, to, to the person who says that God exists, God made the world, but then he just kind of leaves it alone. I would ask this person, do you believe that God is love? And I would bet that the person would say yes, because... You know, every it's kind of a fashionable thing to say. Well, oh yeah, God's love, but we as Christians, that's kind of a unique, uh, a uniquely Christian claim that God is love. Um, uh, Muslims wouldn't make that claim. Um, uh, Buddhists wouldn't make a claim like that. That's uniquely Christian. And what we mean by that claim that God is love is that 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 God is is Father and Son, and that the the love shared between the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit. So the claim that God is love um, implies that God is um, three persons. That that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the thought of of God being Father, Son, Holy Spirit has implications that um, that God is living and acting in the world. That He doesn't just leave us alone. He doesn't just leave us hanging. Um, so. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who is a, a concrete person who lived at a particular time, who did particular things, that the, the love between the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, is living uh, and, and breathing in the world today. So I, do you guys, am I on something? I don't know. <clears throat> Speaks directly to me. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Okay, who has a card? Who has a card? So I got, I have uh, Persistent Penny. Um, she says, the Bible doesn't say we should honor Mary. It doesn't, huh? No. Well, I guess. According to Persistent Penny. Okay, well, <clears throat> there goes that one. So, yeah, what about Hail Mary full of grace? I what about know. the Magnificat? Yeah. Yeah. All nations will call me blessed. I mean, all, all generations will call me blessed. Yeah. Hmm. I'm. I think I'm part of that. All generations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for for me, Mary, Mary is one of those things I've never had a problem with because maybe because I'm a cradle Catholic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it, it only made sense to me. You know, if if God's going to choose somebody to be the mother of Jesus, to be the mother of God. Wouldn't that be a very, very special person? And wouldn't that be somebody that we would want to honor? I don't know of anybody else God has chosen <laughs> to uh, to put his uh, son in. I, I don't know. I've never had well, a problem with that. Well, on top of that, if yeah. you want to really get to know somebody, uh, one good way to get to know that person is to get to know their mom. You know, Because getting to know that mm -hmm. person's mom will say a lot about that person because uh, the mother raised that person person who you're trying to get to know so if you want to if you want to know jesus then what better way to know him than through his mother as well yeah, yeah and then in uh so it's luke 1 starting in verse 46 it says this is what we call the magnificat as catholics my soul magnifies the lord my spirit rejoices in god my savior for he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden for behold Henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. And, and so I, I, I take that as more than just 
Oh yeah, yeah. She's uh, yeah, she was blessed. I take that as we're we're obligated to give her honor. I think probably what's her name? <clears throat> what's the lady's name there? Persistent Penny. Per, yeah, I think what Persistent Penny is is getting at there. But at least what I I think the biggest complaint of a lot of non-Catholic Christians is is that we we worship her and. You know, giving someone worship and giving someone honor isn't necessarily the same thing. And, you know, the church teaches explicitly that only Jesus can be worshiped. Only the, only the Trinity can be worshiped. And Mary, we, we honor her in a very mm-hmm. high regard. I mean, she, above all persons, because she's the person who gave birth to God. Yeah. And, you know, I think of Mary and I think of, you know, what was her role really? Mary's role was really to make Jesus available to us and to lead us to Jesus. And that's what she did with her whole life. And that's what the the praying of the rosary. And I think a lot of people that aren't Catholics just don't understand what the rosary is all about. And it's basically, again, um, asking for Mary to help draw us closer to her son through the prayers. There's a... I'm going to butcher it, but St. Thomas Aquinas talks about Hail Mary when the archangel speaks to her. Think about that. An angel who's a higher species than humanity is saying hail to a human. And what he's implying by that statement is that he's actually speaking to a higher person because Mary, by giving the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit conceive through her, is actually saying that she is the daughter of God, the spouse of the Holy Spirit, and the mother of God. So actually, the angels are subordinate to Mary by that statement. Mm -hmm. And so there's something profound about that. And so, yes, we should honor her because the archangel Gabriel himself saying, Hail Mary, full of grace, is saying, I am subordinate to you. And Aquinas picks up on that, and he probably says it much more elegantly than I. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he is saying by that statement that angels who are their own species above humanity he's saying he's subordinate to the new ark of the covenant that is mary yeah so yeah i was just trying to find the reference in revelation where it talks about the mary being the ark of the covenant but i i uh couldn't quite find it in time (laughs) i forgot the chapter yeah hey so i have doubtful dan here again and uh it's card number four on the church the true church and he says, you believe your church is the one true church? What do you guys think about that? Yes. Okay, <laughs> next card. No. <laughs> well, luckily, coming, uh, cruising down the street on his scooter, we have a uh, joyful Joey on the flip side of the card. And hey, let's answer it. Before we get the right answer, the quote unquote right answer, let's... Give, give us a chance here. Okay. Oh, okay. Joey, hold on a second. <laughs> okay. You believe your church is the one true church. So defend it, guys. Go ahead. Well, if you, if you believe that Jesus is God, then I think it's a logical conclusion to say that the, the Catholic church is the church established by Christ and is uh, therefore... Uh, true, since it's an extension of Christ, it's Christ's mystical body. What What about the church that was established like 150 years ago? 
that think that they say that they are the true church or 200 years ago and they say they're the true church because you hear that a lot through some of these protestant denominations but i don't think they really say that they are the true church okay mm-hmm. i think there's more in an uh, it's more of an understanding of anyone who is a professing christian who is striving to serve jesus is part of the church mm-hmm. you know we're all part of anyone who who professes christ as their lord and savior who you know and you know believes a certain set of fundamental truths about what it means to be a christian is part of the true church and what i believed as a protestant is any any church that comes along and says that they are the one true church to me that was a definite sign that they are off they are wrong they are not a church that i would want to be part of mm-hmm. well that that is a catholic teaching that came with vatican too is that um, our Christian, our Protestant brothers and sisters, that we do belong to the same church. There is a distinction, though, that they don't have the fullness of the faith, that you know, Jesus uh, instituted the sacraments for our church. And our church has a form, and it has, I mean, our mass has a form, our faith, I guess, form and elements to it that reflect very closely to to many of the things that Jesus established for the church. And as time went on, some of those things have been, I think, changed or taken away. You look at some of the Protestant denominations. Now, again, we believe they are our Christian brothers and sisters, but they, they, they lack many things that the Catholic Church does not have. They don't celebrate a lot of the sacraments. And and really, what is the source and summit of our faith as Catholics? That's the Eucharist. Our, our whole faith um, really is, it surrounds the Eucharist. That is the source of our, of our faith, and that's the summit. There's no greater thing that we'll ever do in life than to celebrate the Mass and to receive the Holy Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of these, you know, Protestant faiths that are, are lacking that. And um, again, I, I think they still, they, they can have a relationship with Christ, they can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, with God, it can be a, a, a big part of their life, but they don't have the fullness of the faith that God has established for us and Jesus has established for us. <clears throat> yeah, and for, for that issue, I would say that as a convert myself, you have a certain narrative of history that you you tell yourself and you're surrounded by and essentially a watered down narrative is that the church for about 300 some years of its origin was decentralized and purely driven by the spirit and it was all kind of very small quote bible study in people's houses type churches and there'd be a pastor and he'd give a little message and once constantine issued the edict then it became a state religion and then as it became state it became more corrupt and there's a disconnect between the early church and the medieval church of all of the added liturgical stuff that was sort of the that's sort of the narrative of history and that's the problem is since they go solely sola scriptura they go straight to the bible they're not actually reading the sources from 90 AD onwards they're just reading the end of Revelation which is the God which is John's Revelation but once you start reading past that and reading the fathers you're getting a constant affirmation 
of hierarchy of bishops of the sacraments the eucharist the liturgy and you and you're getting that not in the medieval church you're no. getting that in the first century you're getting that as early as 91 100 you're getting it you know as far as the narrative is concerned is breaks down all of those walls is somehow thinking that just the church was this holy spirit movement for 300 years but really from the onset Ever since Peter, it had been a strictly hierarchical, it had been a laying on the hands apostolic church. And yeah. really looking back and looking at the sources, understanding history can help you kind of get over that problem. Or, and it's something I had to confront, but really you have to go back to the sources. But, yeah, I, like, it's like scriptures that come to mind for me is like the first part of Acts when they're replacing Judas. Mm-hmm. And... They they say we must we have to fulfill his we have to, uh, fulfill his office his episcopate mm-hmm. and it was important that he be replaced to fulfill that office and then I think of later on in Acts where there's there's the dispute over the Judaizers and uh, and Peter uh, not Peter um, uh, Paul and Barnabas they travel I forget where they were at but they travel all the way back to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and the other apostles to resolve a dispute they, they mm-hmm. couldn't do it locally yeah. they had to go to the source so you know and then I, think, I think of Jesus how he prayed that you know that the disciples would be one as he and the father are one mm-hmm. you know and do you think it was okay for, do you think it's okay for the for Jesus and the father and the Holy Spirit to differ on infant baptism you know no they, they have to be one and then that's mm-hmm. what that's what uh, we see with one church. Yep. That we see unity. Okay, guys. Wow, what a great discussion using these cards. I especially like uh, Skeptical Scott. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to call it a quits for the night, you guys. And uh, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Idaho Catholic Podcast. And by the time that you're hearing this, Clay and Daryl will be back in Honduras at the, uh, at the mission. And please say a quick prayer for them. And we wish you a very holy day. And keep God in your sight. And we hope that he's always in your heart. May God forever keep you in all that you do and bring you to heavenly glory.